Guys, welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast. I'm your host, Tyson Popplestone. This podcast, our YouTube channel, and our website all focus on the goal of accessing the minds of some of the best athletes, coaches, and those in and around the world of distance running with the intention of helping you transform the way you run. My goal as a running coach is to provide you with the best information available on the subject of distance running. If you enjoy this podcast and could benefit from more guidance in your own running, I've got a number of ways that we can help you from personal running coaching, training programs, technique analysis, and pre-season running programs for athletes in running-based sports. At the end of the episode, I'll explain more about how they help specifically. If you want to have a look right now, you can jump across to relaxrunning.com slash get started. But for now, here's today's episode. My guest today is Mark McCullum. Now, Mark is an athlete that I've been working with for the past seven months. He's a really interesting guy, not only because of his love for the data and details of what it is that we're doing, but his desire to see improvement in his own running performance. He's a kind of athlete that every time we catch up, there's something new on his mind, something new that he's trying to work on, yet still maintaining the focus points of the work that we're actually doing. And so, Today, I wanted to bring out weekly phone call to you. Each week, we touch base on the training that he's been doing, how he's adapting, how he's adjusting, as well as anything that is sort of caught his attention for the week. It's a really interesting conversation. He's a great guy to talk to. Uh, as always, if you're interested in getting some coaching for yourself, make sure you jump across to Relax Running and check that out. But for now, have a listen to myself and athlete Mark McCullum talking about his training updates and goals in the not too distant future yeah beautiful i was i was taking a couple of notes as i said to you before i sat down uh as to what i wanted to speak to you about but i wrote down a couple of words that i thought summarized you as an athlete really well i wrote down patient uh persistent and consistent and i thought i know persistent and consistent are relatively um fairly close to being on the same page but I feel as though there's enough of a differentiation to to be able to justify each of those words. And it's interesting for, for everyone listening to this podcast, you had a history in the sport back when you were about 17 or 18 and you took a few years off, which I'll let you talk about uh, what yeah, took place um, in the gap there. Yeah. So I'd, I'd gonna, I was going to say, yes, I am now those things. But uh, if you'd saw me 18 months ago, I wouldn't have been described like that. And I'll kind of describe my running journey and, and you'll get a, get a clear view that that wasn't me a, a few years back. So, yeah, um, I think I must have had a bit of talent. You know, I was a, in a small country town. Um, there was a high school cross country, which I participated in. And there was a local guy, Merv Dennis, who remains a friend today, who was a, a keen runner. So we're talking like early 80s, you know, 79, 80. Um, and Merv, and I don't really recall how it happened, but he had a son, Dennis, who was also a runner. And he kind of, we got to know each other and he said, oh, well, how about I actually do some training for a track season? Because I never ran a bit of cross country. And so he picked up Arthur Lydiard, the Lydiard way, and I still have my original copy from back in the in the 80s. And he used that to inform our training. And so I reckon I had probably had two years running track. Um, and I was kind of trying to count the number of actual 1,500 races I did. And I think I only ever ran four 1,500 races, actually raced, because um, there was no one in Lincoln to race against. You know, I would go out there and run and I'd leave everyone behind. Um, so, you know, I got the high school the, uh, medal for the sports day because I was, you know, I must have had a bit of talent. So my fifth race ended up uh, being at the Australian All Schools, uh, schoolboy champions for in the under 
17s, I think I was. 17. No, it was the under 18s and I was 17. Um, and I managed to run a 404 high, which um, I then uh, got into university and uh, subsequently leaving a small country town and ending up in the big smoke. I And not maybe having a support network, not knowing anyone there, I effectively just drifted away from competitive running. Now, since then, I ended up joining the Air Force, uh, you know, had a very full and productive career, but remained a runner. You know, I was episodic, sporadic. I pretty much just would go out and run for fitness. So I kind of dabbled in a couple of triathlons for a while there. And then uh, it was probably around 2010, um, I crewed for a young guy who was a pilot in the squadron, which I was uh, flying at. Um, I got a house in the Blue Mountains, and back then it was the North Face 100. I used to run right in front of my house up in the Blue Mountains, and this young guy said he was going up to run this event. His wife could only stay for the early part of the event, so I said, oh, I'll crew you for the rest of it, which really gave me a taste of the ultra scene, seeing what these people were doing. So I thought, okay, I'm going to run an ultra. So I started, you know, I'd always kind of run a couple of days a week, you know, just around the base, the Air Force base, go to the gym. And I started training for this ultra and I couldn't get past 32 Ks without significant knee pain. I was like, you know, this is where my journey um, about learning about running really started. It was like, okay, what the hell was going on here? And there was a young guy, also a pilot, who wasn't really known for his fitness and i Chatted to him one day, Nubsy, how you going, mate? Yeah, good, I'm taking up running. I'm going, what, you're running? And he goes, yeah, I am. I said, well, what got you into that? He said, I read this book, Born to Run, by uh, Chris McDoo. And I thought, oh, really? So I read this and it really kind of started me on this journey about, about running and us as runners. So I actually went um, barefoot for 18 months and I actually had a successful experience with it. You know, I accepted that, okay, there's going to be some significant changes to my physiology here. I'm going to have to go way backwards before I go forwards. So I, I kind of threw away my running shoes and I started just walking barefoot. You know, I had a, a dog taken for an hour walk. I started walking barefoot, introduced running into it, and, you know, and I kind of got up to, I was doing 15K trail runs, you know, through the through the Blue Mountains barefoot and really enjoying it. But, of course, you can't do that for 100K. But that led me to running my first 100k in 2011 so since then um i think i've completed 12 i think 1200k events and um but i've always again you know been busy at work and it's, you sign up to the event and it's like oh crap three months away i've got to run 100k <laughs> or sometimes it's eight weeks away i've got to run 100k so I then kind of ramp up the mileage have a few niggles get out there run the event, um, and then go back into the same cycle where, you know, you're kind of episodic, you're running every now and then and not doing it consistently. Um, but during that time, it's always been a journey of, you know, trying to gain knowledge about running and running uh, running gait and efficiency and fitness, but not really, I guess, persistent or consistent enough for it to, uh, you know, really, I think, um, could really deliver to good outcomes. So recently I've retired, recently retired, and I thought, okay, now I've actually got the time to um, devote to what I love, which is running. And But that in itself then started to re- reveal a number of things, as you're aware of, you know, our, our relationship uh, from a coach and an athlete perspective. I'm starting to find what's called system limitations. You know, you kind of change things, you discover a new limitation, you work on that. It's kind of like a theory of constraint. You find the next constraint, you deal with it, and then you move on to the next constraint. Um, but 
for the last probably I've had a great 60 days, you know, consistency. Um, and as you're aware, I've kind of been ticking off the miles. We've uh, stepped back in intensity. We're now kind of just reintroducing that, which I really felt um, I needed to because, you know, uh, I'm 60 years old. I know I've got a limited time for things such as muscle mass, fast twitch tiber. You know, sarcopenia is a real issue for, for older athletes. So it's trying to constantly, you know, maintain, touch a bit of strength, and uh, I guess do the sorry touch a bit of speed and do the strength work is really important to me at the moment. Yeah, it's part of the reason I was excited to get you on the podcast because I think so much of what you just spoke about are lessons that are not only v- valuable reminders to to ourselves and to myself, but to so many runners out there. I think the most common complaint or the most common concern or question that I get here at Relaxed Running is around consistency. How can I develop a more consistent routine and I mean, so many of the factors that you just touched on are, are part of the puzzle, but I think you've got yourself to a point and part of what I enjoy so much about our weekly phone calls is just a reflection on what's working and what we need to adjust in order to maintain that consistency. And I think early in the piece, I, I, I'm trying to remember the exact date we, we started working together officially. It must be seven or eight months. I can't remember if it was a birthday yeah. or a New Year's. Gift no, yourself. I think you're right. It was when you when you kind of put the call out for. Um, it was I think probably two thirds of the way through last year. I think we are yeah. around about there, probably about seven months. Um, so yeah, it was about mid last year, um, and I reached out to you and said, "Oh, I wouldn't mind a bit of running analysis." Um, and in fact, that probably that YouTube video could be an anchor of uh, victory where we started our coaching relationship as well. Because that experience I had with you where you identified a few things I was doing with my, my gait and how I run was such a positive experience. I then reached out to you and I said, look, could you possibly take me on uh, and, and be my coach? It was it was good. It was one of those videos that I posted and it's uh, a video that I was very happy to post because it's one of those ones that you look at a bit of a transformation, you like that and you go, oh my gosh, something dramatic's changed. But I think so much of the credit in um, what took place was, uh, you know, with your approach to it. And it was really interesting because what I've started to really appreciate about your approach to running is not only the things I just mentioned, which I'd love to touch on a little bit more because I think so much can be drawn out of your story as to how you've had such a consistent last few months, especially or 60 days, as, as you mentioned. But for lack of a better term, what would I say? Yeah, you're very interested in the technical aspect of, of running, which is something that I don't think a lot of runners can say. I mean, I've worked with a number of athletes and even beyond just working with athletes, just being around runners for years, that the technique element of running is so often overlooked. And it frustrates me because obviously when you're looking at running, you look at any elite athlete, men, women from 100 metres to the marathon, there seems to be without exception some form of running efficiency which even an untrained eye can look at and go, okay, something is taking place there that looks good. Running's not supposed to be this easy or look this easy. And I don't know why it's so overlooked, perhaps just because the interest in training and nutrition and footwear and whatever else is more of an exciting prospect and maybe easier to to change immediately than the technical side. But I mean, I've pivoted here a little bit. We can go into technique and then I'll I'll take a step back to what I was going to ask you about. But it seems as though it's a part of your nature, like that, um, that technical aspect. You seem to love to dig into the details of whether it's heart rate or stats or gait or 
the way you're holding yourself when you're running or the food that you're eating. Do you just want to talk about what it was that actually got you even interested in looking at your running efficiency to start with? Um, I guess it was probably initially a bit of frustration because, you know, as, of course, youth has something to do with it. You know, I used to be able to run so fast, so easily. And then when I was returning to it, you know, obviously age was a factor. Um, and I remember actually, I remember when I was training for my first ultra, a mate of mine, uh, Chris McBurney, who we've done a couple with since, um, I remember talking to him going, you know, kind of this is weird when I run. I feel like I'm a, um, a Thunderbird puppet. Everything's happening out the front, you know. It kind of just didn't feel right. And so it was kind of this, and, and I am a dyed-in-the-wool nerd, so I, I love science. I love, you know, technology. I love understanding why things work or how things work or why things are. So I think that's just in my nature to do that anyhow. Um, I'm one of these people that if you get an interest, I am all in. You know, I'm going to know every little detail about about whatever I'm interested in at the time and I'll pursue skills and knowledge and stuff like that. Um, but with running, though, it's persistent. You know, it's one of those things. It's not just a, a fleeting interest. It is a, it is a love. And, it's, um, and, of course, it's an experiment of one. You know, it was interesting you talked about the shoes and that. I think there is an industry around running. Um, and I have explored a lot of, you know, how to improve your running. And I've come to the realisation, I'm sure we'll get to him uh, soon, but uh, Lawrence Van Lingen, um, who is, I think, I think I've actually found the well. You know, I found kind of that uh, where the, the elixir comes from now. Because I'd been dealing with what would, you'd be calling outcome cues. You know, you need to land on your forefoot. You need to land on your midfoot. You're you, cadence needs to be higher you know all this type of stuff and it never really got to the why or the how and uh and i feel like um i guess with the work that Lawrence van lingen has done and i'm surprised he's not better well known to tell you the truth you know i've been digging into this for about a decade now and i came across him and i'm going how have i heard of this guy um so that's i guess it's the the motivation is because it's something I love, um, and I think for everyone, it is autonomy is an experiment of one. You know, you've got to work what works for you from an intensity, you know, a process. All our physiologies are different, so there is that. Uh, you know, the data actually informs me about my about myself. Um, and look, and I know there's always this argument about do you follow the data or do you follow how you feel. I think it's both. You know, I always wake up in the morning and go, how do I feel? And then out of curiosity, I kind of have a look at the data, and the data's great for those long trends. And I um, know the um, – oh, I've just had a mental blank. The guy who's doing his five-year project um, to uh, – Not Gordo Byrne? Yeah, Gordo Byrne. You know, you look at yeah. Gordo Byrne, he always looking for those long, those long trends, and that's kind of what I look for as well. So I guess that's the motivation for, for you know, how I, why I've taken this approach to the knowledge um, yeah. And I think it comes down to, and it's an intrinsic motivation, you know, it's the fact that I love running, I want to be good at it, I don't care about how I look, I don't care about what people think about me, it's ultimately an intrinsic motivation that uh, keeps me coming back to it. Yeah, it's interesting, I, I've you got me onto Lawrence Van Lingen and I've gone down the rabbit hole a little bit and what I find interesting is it's... He comes at it from such a different perspective. As you say, like there was a lot of outcome cues that, that you were offered that you'd been working with. But his philosophy around running technique goes so much deeper. It really is just a, almost a philosophy about life. And I had to laugh because one of the first things that I heard him say was that he thinks one of the best running books ever written was, uh, I 
uh, the creative act, I think it is by Rick Rubin, which was funny because I just listened to the audio book and I listened to that book with the intention of just developing the art of my comedy a little bit and seeing if he had any thoughts around that. And I had to laugh because I was like, it is amazing how well that message seems to pass through everything that we do, like any, whether it's a creative act or whether it's a physical act or the combination of the two. But what I laughed at when I heard that was I thought I, I couldn't imagine a bloke further to the opposite side of the spectrum of how I perceived you. I saw you as very data, very fact, very just give me the give me the numbers. And then I hear him speak about it and it's a little more whimsical. There's a little bit more, uh, there's a little bit more, not airy-fairy because that's unfair, but you know what I mean when I say that. Like he yeah. comes at it from a, a very different perspective, which I find refreshing, but was surprised that connected so well with you. I mean, I love it so I can see the attraction. And I guess, you know, I I tried it. You know, I jumped in and started doing his stuff. Um, and, and it kind of was also when you first um, pointed out some aspects of my running gait because um, I had always kind of, and I think I used the term, I felt like I was muscling my way over yeah. the ground. And it was probably a, a byproduct of um, the outcome queuing, but also, I guess, my contact with a physio. Uh, so it was... Just over probably 18 months ago now, I had my very first physio appointment, which I guess, you know, for a run for 40 odd years is probably a pretty good thing, but I was probably ignoring a bunch of issues that I should have seen a physio with earlier. But I uh, was doing a, an event with a, a Chris McBurney, this mate of mine, the Wonderland Trail Run. And um, I got 20K into it and I had to pull the plug. And it was like, no, I, because, and, you know, it's uh, down near Hull's Gap, you know, what that terrain's like. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty horrendous. Um, but I was getting, it turned out to be patella tendinopathy. And so I then went to the physio and, the, and and I guess it was probably a lack of understanding about maybe what the physios are trying to achieve with you. But it was like, hey, you need to be stronger here. You know, I, I could basically couldn't balance on my right leg, you know, so something had happened over. It. And I think it was basically I'd been protecting my right knee where I'd been having chronic pain, which was always felt like it was what limited what I achieved with my running was basically how much could my right knee take. And so uh, Dave Halpin um, here in Canberra, who uh, I really do like working with, a great guy um, and also a very good runner, um, he said, yeah, look, you've got these problems. We need to uh, basically connect those muscles back to your brainstem so you can control that leg, which uh, I had an um, appointment on Wednesday and not come so far in the 18 months I've been working with him. That's been very worthwhile. But it was always about strength, you know, and kind of getting stronger. Um, and I think, uh, and I don't know who says it, I think um, Paul McKinnon, the balance runner, says it, that the only thing that can change movement is movement. And it was when you spoke about being relaxed and uh, and where I started to feel like I was actually flying over the ground and, you know, maybe the dynamic system that the body is was being actually um, constrained by my preconception of what the solution was, which was about being stronger, you know, and, and certain muscles muscling my way across the ground. But once I actually started to relax and be aware of tension in the body, the body just started to kind of flow. And I, I think I said to you that, you know, that the way that dynamic system was kind of being um, held back by a swamp of tension, you know, muscular tension that I was holding as I was, I was trying to be stronger in certain parts of my body. 
Um, and, and actually, you know, and this is one thing that uh, Lawrence Van Lingen gets you to do in his uh, movement patterning is you spend more time relaxed than you do tensing anything at all. Um, and a lot of the, the techniques he use, it's about the body relaxing and allow it to be a dynamic system as you move forward about, you know, capturing and storing that energy and then releasing it as you run, which does when it works leads to an incredible state of flow physically and mentally. Yeah, you, I'm often surprised. It doesn't matter what sport I look at. And I mentioned this briefly with reference to just the runners, but you look at an athlete like Muhammad Ali or a Tiger Woods or a, um, you know, a Michael Jordan, there is a Scott Pendlebury if you're a football fan. There's a certain element of ease that these movements are done with. And it, it constantly surprises me because often when we're told that we want, or when we're thinking we want to run faster, like that first approach is almost that muscle your way through it. I've just got to work a little bit harder. Um, there's a guy that I like, and uh, I'm not that into a lot of airy-fairy stuff a lot of the time, but I'll do a yoga class online with a bloke called uh, Travis Elliott. And one of the things that I love that he says, and I actually apply this to my running, especially as I'm getting back into some more intense or faster sessions, I should say, is he goes, everyone's obsessed with trying hard, but no one's interested in trying easy. And so whenever I'm working, whenever I'm working hard, when I'm out there running or when I'm trying to relate this message to a, an athlete I'm working with, this idea of trying easy seems to encapsulate it because it's like, you do, yeah, sure, you can, you can get yourself technically right, but then if you're still trying to muscle your way through it and you're carrying tension even subtly in any part of your body, it's not going to feel as easy as what it could if you learn to do what you did, identify the tension, start to release it, and then take practical cues. I mean, you're a real... Um, a real student of the sport, which is obviously working in your favor as well. As you said, like uh, between me and uh, the balance runner and Lawrence Van Lingen, I mean, you don't just settle for one philosophy and go, okay, this person's got it. They know it. It's like, no, like, let's see what's on the other side of the fence. And I, I love that because it sort of really relates to my approach to running. And it's interesting, actually, this is a bit of a tangent, but I've, I've had a lot of people email in, um, like amazing amount of people frustrated about the, the interview that I did with Phil Maffetone the other day. <laughs> because obviously, I mean, he's, he's relatively controversial when you think about what he's saying. Um, you know, your body's fat-fueled for ultra-endurance is his message, and you don't really need to do too much anaerobic work if you're a marathon runner. So I can I have no trouble seeing what the criticism is. But at the same time, I love the opportunity to sit down to a person like that who's developed a massive following and just hear thoughts. And I yeah. think there's nothing nothing to be afraid of with hearing thoughts from the other side of the fence, like to be able to sit down and go, oh, okay, well, thank you, but like I completely disagree and here's why. It's a little bit of an opportunity just to sharpen the knowledge you already have by, you know, strengthening it or eliminating it. So I'm, I'm really open to the idea, but yeah, it was, it was, it sort of blew my mind how many people were, uh, my email inbox was just filled with people quite angry about it. And I thought, wow, it's amazing, particularly in reference to the, to the fat-fueled endurance running. Um, which I mean, I can see the crit the criticism for myself. I I use carbs to load for endurance sports, but I was really interested to hear from the other side of the fence. But anyway, I say all that to say it's fascinating to see just the different perspectives that people bring to the table on what so many of us would believe, or or probably even have the evidence to prove is fairly established scientifically. So you know, and I guess. Um... You know, Phil Maffetone, I guess he was a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, he was blazing a trail because he got part of it exactly right. You know, one of the critiques I've had, uh, I've read about the math 
method is it's kind of reductionist. He says, okay, well, you're an aerobic athlete, so we just need to look after the aerobic system. But really, you know, your metabolic systems are operating on a spectrum. They're all operating to different degrees when you are when you are when you are running. But he did get it exactly right. You know, that is pretty much the eighty percent of the eighty twenty um, principle, and I think it's. Uh, Inigo Mahika, who uh, basically did a lot of cycling, did, you know, did the, a lot of the Zone 2 work and identified the importance of that. Um, and now Stephen Siler, who I've kind of been digging into lately with his – and he didn't invent it, he observed it. He basically just, uh, you know, as a sports scientist, looked at the elite athletes and what was their distribution of intensity. And regardless if it was an endurance sport, it was an 80-20 is where all of the, you know uh, – the elite athletes and their coaches had arrived at what actually works. Um, so yeah, it's um, and I'm pretty much I'm reading the eighty twenty now by um, Matt Fitzgerald. So awesome. he's he, he's written some uh, great books, but I'm currently reading that, which is which I'm I'm sure we'll have some conversations once I've finished as well, guys, about how do we apply that to me. So for instance, intervals. Um, Wednesday, which it gave me a 90-minute rest, I pushed that out to two minutes because Stephen Siler, um, and for those, anybody who's interested in ultras, I can highly recommend the Science of Ultra podcast by uh, Dr. Uh, Bearden. Unfortunately, he stopped doing episodes now, but there's a huge body of work there um, where he's an ultra marathoner and he actually had Stephen Siler as um, one of his guests and he's you now we're talking about well, what about the rest period? You know, how is it important? And for endurance athletes, basically, they found he found that, um, and they did some trials on this. Going an extra thirty seconds has no detriment but significant benefits. You actually get better consistency, speed consistency in the fast part of your intervals just by giving yourself that extra thirty seconds. So I gave myself an extra thirty seconds on Wednesday. Uh, awesome, <laughs> I love it. Well, this is one thing I always say as well. Like consider the training program written in pencil. And yeah. actually, that goes back to that goes back to one of the things that you said before I hit record, um, which which I think's got a lot to do with the consistency you've been able to develop. And is one thing that I I wish I could just get in a tablet form and give to every athlete that I work with. And that is just uh, using not only with recovery, like whether it's due to fatigue or uh, due to something you're, you're wanting to trial, but the idea of actually giving yourself the the okay to take a day off or to uh, adjust the intensity, the volume of the run based on how your body's feeling. And you said something to me, which I mean, makes so much sense practically, but emotionally, a lot of athletes have trouble saying, I'm going to actually offer myself an easier day, despite the fact that something a little bit more intense has been laid down. And I mean, th- this kind of started or my first, don't mind me, I'm trying to shoo a fly here. I just couldn't get him out of my office and he keeps coming in. To, he's desperate to be on the show. Um, <laughs> one of the things that probably highlighted this early in in our relationship together was when we'd started to introduce a little more speed work into the session and that knee started to flare up a little bit. And we said, okay, well, how do you feel about potentially backing off some of the intensity? And despite the fact that it feels good to get out there and try and do it, you were wise enough to go, no, no, I'm actually going to back this off for the time being. And as a result, you've been able to lay down some really consistent running, yeah, especially over the last 60 days, but even longer than that. So perhaps you laid the foundation of where you got the ability to do that at the start of the show. But I mean, if you wanted to talk to that a little bit, it would be really interesting because one thing that I think a lot of athletes really struggle with is doing less than what's been programmed. Yeah, and I think um, that probably came from, you know, you retire, 
Um, I wasn't quite 60 then, but I knew that that milestone was coming. Um, and so it was like, well, how do I do this for the rest of my life? You know, whereas before there were other things in your life, you know, I had a very busy job, I had a lot of responsibilities and that sometimes would dominate my time. Now I had a lot more ownership of my time and I made some choices about, you know, well, what am I going to do with it? And the one thing is I'm going to now be dedicated to my love of running. And it's like, okay, well, how do I actually now, uh, and I guess having that opportunity gave me the opportunity to look at running differently as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, we spoke about in the past um, the uh, Steve Monaghetti and his phone book analogy, you know, where you basically know one workout. You know, if each page in that phone book is is a workout or a running session, that's when you stack them up real thick that you actually get to be a resilient, yeah. robust and, and capable athlete. And so, therefore, it's now about, you know, stacking up pages in a phone book. Um, and so, you know, and I kind of come to the conclusion, and I'm, I'm sure I've probably heard someone else say this, that the purpose of today's training is so I can do tomorrow's training. Um, and therefore, that's then iterative. So I'm also do mathematics. So there's an iteration. The purpose of today's training is a bit like N plus one for cyclists and, and bikes, which is my wife's philosophy in life. It's N plus one, you know. N is the number of uh, training sessions and you're always N plus one is the most important training session, which is that next one. And so I guess that was where, you know, I thought, okay, I've got to back this off. If I, first of all, I've got to, you know, I need to make myself stronger. I realised that I'd probably be neglecting the strength work a little bit. Um, and so, therefore, that would give me the opportunity to do the strength work and then just lay down lay down a decent base, which everything else then uh, comes from. And also, you know, the uh, and I guess I've effectively been doing math for, you know, probably the last eight weeks or so. Um, and that lower intensity, um, you know, you kind of then I know what easy feels like. Uh, it allows you to back it up day after day after day. And so 80-20 mm. is effectively math with a bit of speed sprinkled in. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I was actually going to say before when you mentioned reading the 80-20 principle, I look at the way that we structure your training program and I think we're very close th very close to it. Yeah. Like obviously we've we've started over the last 3 or 4 weeks to to introduce some lighter tempo runs and and some more in, in I would say more intense just based because it's got the hills in the title, but but some faster hill running for a variety of reasons. But we're in an interesting period for you. So for everyone listening, you are off the top of my head, I want to say seven, six or seven weeks away from the Canberra 10K. Um, yeah, I think we're six weeks now, six weeks. And 11 weeks out from... No, we're about... Um, I've written it down. Yeah, probably 11 or 12 weeks away from 100K, UTA 100. Which is a, which is a really fun little, uh, fun little place to be. And I think it's fun based on the fact you look at a 10K and you go, okay, well, that's relatively, that's relatively fast. And you look at 100 and you go, well, that seems like a different form of training. And so the project at the moment has been like we, we obviously want to have a good crack at the 10K. But I would say if we zoomed out a little bit, and I mean, don't let me speak for you, I'd be, I'd be keen to know what your main priority is. But in my mind, the 10K is another stepping stone, an important stepping stone towards towards the big 100 in 11 yeah, weeks' so, time. You know, it, it's kind of interesting because uh, I, when I, before I, you know, we started working with you, 
I kind of cobbled together the program and I was going out there smashing a bit of speed work. Um, and I hadn't, I was scared of sprinting. I reckon I probably spent 35 years afraid of running fast, you know, and I kind of just went out there and you sat in your comfort zone, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of were in there probably zone two, pushing up to zone three occasionally, which meant that you were never running really, really fast. And I guess, you know, the issues I had with my knee, but I actually started to do strides and I found I actually still had the turn of speed, you know, I actually can still run quite quick when I, when I get out there and do it. Um, but of course, I was running in a way that was just leading to further injury um, because I was still, and, and I guess to get technical about it, I, I'd worked out that I've got this anterior bias in my right leg. So what I'd been doing because of the knee plane, I was constantly trying to protect it. My right hip was collapsing, um, which my quads were then loading across the knee. Um, and it, it was always interesting because when I was doing some uh, isometric work in the gym, set up with the left leg, left leg is grounded. You know, it's basically formed a strut between kind of my hip and the ground, but my right leg would always kind of, the hip would collapse at the idea of actually putting load on that leg and I'd have to cognitively position my leg in a way to take load. And working with Dave, the physio, kind of doing pogos on the left leg and I got a decent amount of pop none on the right leg absolutely and uh but now that i've uh, you know running better and i've actually activated posterior chain um not loading across the knee knee pain's gone away i'm actually can do a pogo on my right leg now so i've got some pop on my right leg so he's now introduced some plyos some box plyos uh, one-legged stuff because he's satisfied that he'd probably overcome that problem um so yeah that that intense enough forget where the question initially was going but um you know that that intensity was causing that uh, that knee pain with that. And so, yeah, sure. so hence, hence my motivation is actually uh, my priority at the moment is the 10K. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting <laughs> interested in I'm interested in speed again. You know, I was originally a 1,500-metre runner, and so um, I am now actually kind of interested in, in doing some shorter stuff because I can go out and I've done 100K on zero training. Um, I've gone out and not trained for 18 months and went out – Sure, it took me 23 hours and 57 minutes. Sub 24 was my target. So um, that was the slowest slowest 100K I've ever done. 14.30 is the fastest I've ever done. Um, but it was just my job just didn't allow me to get the training in. Um, and so I thought, right, I'm going to finish this bloody thing. I'm just going to effectively power walked the 100K. Um, so, but no, getting back into the shorter, faster stuff is probably what, I'm passionate about at the moment. Now, I still love stepping off on 100K. That's an experience. There's that saying you can't walk in the same river twice. Um, you kind of finish 100K a different person than when you started. Yeah. You always learn something about yourself. And, and I love the the community. I, I love the events and, and also just the act of, you know, moving across those fantastic environments where 100Ks tend to be run. So, yeah, the shorter stuff is actually what I'm – I'm interested in now, and we haven't mentioned it, but I've been lucky enough to get a ticket in the UTMB Triple C August 30th. So I never, but then I go crap. I've got another hundred k I've got to commit to, which is now <laughs> six and a half months away. So sure. and that's going to go real quick. That's going to go real quick. But um, you know, I'm quite comfortable that I can get out and knock out a hundred k. It's not going to be. It's not going to be fast, and it's not going to be pretty. But um, I think the shorter stuff is actually what is motivating me and is passionate at the moment that's great yeah it's nice it's, it's it is interesting that for 
Yeah, you got one too. Yeah, yeah it's so interesting that uh, for 35 years you said you were afraid of the running fast, especially based on the fact that your fourth or fifth 1500 meters, age 17, you ran 404. It seems like a a real sweet spot. But um, one of the things that I'm I'm sort of curious, just from a, a personal perspective as well, because I haven't spoke to you this over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the two big changes. Uh, first, I just mentioned introducing a little more speed work. And then with one eye on these 100K events where we're gradually increasing the volume of the, the Saturday and the Sunday running. And so I guess the, the caution that we're playing with is not introducing too many massive variable changes all at once. And so I, I think we've, from, from what I can tell, the, um, just based on conversations with you, you seem to be handling it well. I do see the the Saturday or Sunday run is tinkered with from time to time based on how you feel, how you've recovered. But in terms of how you feel you're actually absorbing a, a lot of the work, like you, you're feeling as though the body's strong, you're feeling as though um, you, you found yourself in a little bit of a sweet spot with volume and intensity at the moment? Yeah, so, um, and Gordo Byrne, Byrne talks about this as well, you know, kind of like your core systems and your peripheral systems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from a core, I actually don't feel much core fatigue. So at the end of a running week, you know, I don't feel tired, physically tired. Um, I'm dealing with periphery fatigue, which is, I guess, you know, my uh, ability of my musculoskeletal system to handle the load. Um, and that's at the end of the week, it's like, oh, crap, my legs are tired, you know, um, and I just got to absorb that training uh, and allow. And that's why I decided to take it easy yesterday and I'll go pretty easy today. I'll just get on the bike and turn the legs over. Um, that's to absorb probably Wednesday's session. Um, so it's, I actually feel like I am handling it quite well. I'm interested, uh, where it's, cause my training I've been, what I've been doing with Dave, it's gone from rehabilitation now to almost kind of like in a performance based, um, strength and conditioning program. So I'm kind of interested to see where that's going to go now that I'm starting to introduce uh, a bit more, some extensive plyos into the, into the mix, um, and start to see how that, you know, I start to develop a bit more power uh, and speed in, in the strength routine and see how that plays out for the stuff such as the uh, the intervals. You know, I think it makes sense. We haven't been doing speed work, so I go out and I run harder. My legs are going to hurt a little bit more than what I would if I'd been out there doing zone two. So, you know, I'm going, to, going out there on the zone twos, and I think I must be quite efficient at burning fat because I don't need anything. I'll go out and I run 20K. I don't need to drink or eat anything. Um, so, you know, I don't, I'm not taking gels or anything like that. And and I'm not feeling like I have a lack of energy at those runs. So and one thing has happened in this low, um, this low, uh, this zone two stuff, you know, this low heart rate stuff is I'm getting faster. You know, the, the math stuff works, you know, the, the zone two stuff works. I'm getting faster at those, at those, at those heart rates. I think when we started doing this, I was doing about to keep my heart rate below 125 is what I'm aiming for. I'm, I was doing about 6.30. I'm now down to about 6.05, you know, six minutes a K um, to stay below 125. Gee, that's so impressive. I, I feel as though I had the reverse impact of, of what you just said, like in terms of a little bit of fatigue due to the faster work. Obviously, I was at Hall's Gap last weekend, as you know, because I messaged you asking uh, if you got any recommendations. And um, you sent through the All Trails app, which I've become obsessed with since then. It's unbelievable. I'd heard of it before, but hadn't really delved too much into the world of trail running. And uh, the biggest difficulty was trying to find a, a, a like isolate one particular trail that I was going to try and run. Long story short, I had 18K and I thought, I know you gave me some love on Strava, but 
I uh, saw a loop. It was about 18K. I got to the turnoff for this particular uh, run and it had been closed off because of the fire. And I thought, oh, well, what am I going to do? Because I'm only 6K in. And about 200 meters later, I saw this sign saying uh, Baronia Peak, 3.3K that way. And I was like, all right, <laughs> here we go. Let's get the trail running legs on. And, oh, my gosh, it's just what an experience. I think I was doing about eight and a half minute K pace at some of the points. I was going through the motion of running, though. If you looked at me, I think that's all it was. I don't think you would actually call it running. Um, but I got to the top of the mountain and uh, got the view and had a gel and sat on a rock for a moment. And I was up there by myself at about, must have been 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And I thought, oh, okay, this is the this is the first real taste of of trail running that I've, I've ever enjoyed. And I've, I, I kind of got home and, oh, my gosh, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, my body <laughs> was so sore. And I think my Tuesday morning run had the splits to prove it. I think I was running around 6-minute K pace or 5.50K pace just to keep the legs in zone 2 heart rate yeah. or keep the heart uh, under, uh, you know, what was required for zone 2. And, uh Oh, I, I can't remember feeling that much buildup of just fatiguing my legs for such a long time. And it was amazing because I didn't know such slow slow running would uh <laughs> would leave me in that particular position. But gee, it's a it's a brutal, uh, if not beautiful sport to be involved in. Yeah, it is tough. You know, I remember one of the early ultras I ran, I um wife of a, one of the pilots um, that I knew at 37th Squad and she was training for to do the ultra and she they lived down in North Sydney somewhere and she was doing a lot of miles she was doing a real lot of miles but they were road miles and she was real quick you know I thought oh she's going to smash this but she ended up um I think she had to pull out she ended up injuring herself because the terrain it's like it's like you know you run along with a bunch of bloody front rowers having having a go at you as you're trying to maintain your stride you know trains always changing you can't get into well there are some places where you can get into a bit of a tempo and a flow but you're constantly dealing with changes in train changes in foot stripe which in some ways i think potentially makes you a stronger healthier runner as well um you know i i've never turned an ankle um and sure. i hear people that uh, you know have ankle issues but i think it's because i spend so much time on the trails running uneven ground that i've just developed either the proprioceptive awareness of what the ground's like or I've developed the strength um, and the tendon strengthening to allow me to do that. So I've been very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I got so excited by Darren Ann Finn's book, uh, Running with the Kenyans, mm -hmm. that I went out to try and find if there was any equivalent with any other nations. And I found one, uh, it's into thin air or out of thin air. One's about Everest, one's about Ethiopian distance runners. I'm not sure which yeah. one's the yeah. Anyway, I read that and it was so interesting just to hear about the terrain that the Ethiopians spend so much time of their running uh, on, like whether it's the gravel or whether it's through forest. Yeah, that proprioception, there's a constant uh, – the bloke who wrote the book was saying that he was staggered that any of the athletes, particularly Kennedy Shibakili, was the standout, but staggered that any of the athletes could develop any kind of rhythm and yet more than just having rhythm on what was – the wildest terrain these guys were absolutely flying and he said he he spent the first three weeks just trying to make sure he wasn't stepping in a pothole and was running about six or seven minutes per yeah. k so it's definitely a skill i mean my right ankle is evidence of the fact that i probably grew up in a, a, a fairly commercial little town with a lot of pavement and a lot of trails because i moved to ballarat started running trails with monas group and i reckon i rolled my ankle five times in the first six yeah. months wow. and so yeah it's still a little bit loose i've uh i've been trying to do some more work on it to strengthen it but you're right it's definitely a different craft 
So um, did you watch any of Matt Hall's Ekaden series with Sweat Elite? Oh, Matt Fox? Yeah, Matt Fox. Sorry, not Matt Matt, Matt Fox. Matt Fox. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. So right or wrongly, um, I don't know what it is. I, I'm not overly interested in Ekaden for some reason. I don't know what it is. No, I, I started what? Yeah, but I watched a couple. Yeah. I watched a couple. I watched a couple and I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's, I mean, as much as I appreciate the work that he put in, I couldn't get into the actual story just because I was like, yeah. oh, I'm, more, I'm more interested in the individual athletes. Whereas he had one on the world record holder for the Ironman a couple of weeks ago. And I was obsessed with that because mm-hmm. I was just fascinated mm-hmm. at the pace and the volume that he was running so much of his work at. But yeah, no, didn't really, didn't really watch too much of the Ekadam one. So, so the reason I mentioned it because there were some Kenyan runners that were actually in. I think they were employed. They're actually because they have company teams. The, the, so the company employed these Kenyan runners, yeah. and they end up being on their running team. And uh, and Matt spoke to some of them about what do they think of the um, Japanese approach to training. You know, and of course, as you can imagine, the Japanese are very regimented in their approach. And one of them made the observation: he said, oh, "What could they do different? What was wrong with their training?" And one of them basically said, "No forests." that they spent all their time running pavement and running um, and running the track, whereas, you know, the Kenyans, if they're not on the track, they're usually on, you know, dirt surfaces. They're running uh, running through forests or on dirt roads. And that's one thing I do, you know, because it's actually yeah. a little bit easier on the body. You know, I try and find a dirt, uh, dirt surface to run on wherever I can. If I'm running around Canberra here on the bike paths, I'm usually off the side on the verge, just on the grass running because um, I find it, much more comfortable than it's kind of smacking on the on the pavement for sure mark i'm not going to uh, i'm not going to take up too much of your time i told you around 40 minutes we're at 43 so i'm going to uh, love you and leave you but i really appreciate you coming on and having a chat it's always fun i mean i look forward to our, our phone calls at the best of time so i'm uh, i'm hoping everyone gets as much out of our chats as as what i do so i'll also for everyone listening make sure i, I keep people updated on your progress and how things are going, but we're heading in the right direction for some pretty good results, I think. Yeah, thanks very much, Tice. Really, on the same way, you know, I kind of think when we first established this uh, coach-athlete relationship, I kind of said the conversations we have each week are like fuel of the fire. You know, they're really part of the motivation to keep you going and also keep you honest. It keeps me honest as well, which is wonderful. So thank you for all your efforts. Nah, easy. All right, we'll leave it there. See you later, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Relaxed Running Podcast. Don't forget, if you're interested in finding out more about the programs and services we offer at Relaxed Running, jump across to relaxedrunning.com slash get started. There you'll find links to the personal coaching option, regardless of where you're at in your running journey, whether you're brand new and relatively unfit, or you've been at the sport for a while and you're looking at refining your running performance We've got options that are tailored to serve you for where you're at. If you'd like to jump on board for a free Zoom call to discuss whether or not we might be a good fit for each other, make sure you hit the personal coaching tab. If you're interested in getting access to a more general training program, we offer one-time training programs from the 5K all the way through to the marathon, from beginner, intermediate, through to advanced. Beyond that, we also offer technique analysis where we can get footage of you running from a variety of different angles at a variety of different speeds and pinpoint exactly where there's inefficiencies or tension in your running technique. I also mentioned that we offer pre-season running programs for athletes in running-based sports. So make sure if you're an athlete from a running-based sport like field hockey or soccer, 
AFL or basketball, you could do with some guidance for either yourself as an individual or the team that you coach, get in touch and find out how it is that we can structure that training program to serve you or your team. You can keep in touch with Relax Running over at relaxrunning.com. We're also on Instagram and YouTube. If you like to watch your podcast episodes rather than listen to them, every one of these episodes is posted over at the Relax Running YouTube page. Would so appreciate any reviews and comments that you guys have for this particular episode. If you've been around for a while, you're enjoying these episodes, the best way that we can get this to more people is jumping on board and leaving a rating and a review. That's enough from me today, but hopefully I'll see you back here again next week.